Hello, this is Futurist Gerd Leonhardt. These are my keynote speeches as podcasts. Thanks very much for inviting me. Good night. A couple words of So, I'm here to speak to you about the future. And the future is a tough topic right now. Because it seems like every time we think about the future, something else happens and it's all different. I think it's pretty safe to say that the next 10 years will bring more change than the previous 100 years. Uh, in fact, I think you can say that science fiction is becoming science fact. Right? This device here is my second brain. For some of our children, this is the first brain. So the question is, how can we have a good future? A guzal jeletjek. How do we do that with technology? Because one thing is for certain, as I was listening to Pink Floyd, uh, the choir earlier, 1987, I think, right? We definitely need education. Because we're going into the future where technology is absolutely everywhere. You know, science fiction is becoming science fact. I can speak to this device and have it translate in Turkish. It will not be as good as a translator, but simple Turkish will work. I can use this device to find a date. Like in India, there is a, uh, an artificial intelligence called the better half. And you know that in India, many marriages are arranged, right? And this is an artificial intelligence that arranges marriages with artificial intelligent algorithms. We also know that supercomputing is coming, which means that computers will have unlimited computing power. Right now, it's already very good, right? but roughly in 10 years, it'll be more than 1 billion human brains. But is computing power enough? I don't think so. But when we look at the future and we want to create a good future, it's quite clear right now. It's like everything is being shaken up. It's like you take the looking glass with the snow inside and you shake it, right? The COVID crisis, the Ukraine-Russia war, the inflation, the energy crisis, climate change. In fact, today, if you talk to children or to kids, say 12 to 25, most of the kids today think the future will be bad. Because everything we talk about is all the bad things that are happening. But I'm here to tell you today, as my first statement, the future is better than we think. Because humans may not be as smart as computers for calculating, but humans can create a good future. We always have. And we have to keep hope that humans can actually collaborate. It has proven in the past that we can collaborate. You know, we had the nuclear bomb. We didn't collaborate on that before. But afterwards, 15 years later, we had the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, which is still in effect today. We know how to collaborate, and I think you can safely say sometimes we try things a lot before we actually do anything. I know we tend to be lazy, but the future is better than we think. And now Turkey. I've been coming to Turkey for a long time, not the last two years. Turkey is going digital, like every other country. 
And Turkey and Germany, you know, I come from Germany originally, I live in Switzerland now, they have quite a few things in common. German people are perfectionists. We love engineering. We love technology. We don't want anything imperfect. And we think that the whole world is kind of like a big engineering project. Well, obviously it's not, because technology is showing us now, quite simply, that in this world that we're going into, fundamental questions will be asked. If a robot, a computer, or an app can do your work, what do you do? If a doctor is using this to analyze the biome and the DNA of the patient, and the, the DNA says that there's a proclivity for diabetes, is the doctor better off or is it worse off? If in Korea, a robot is being used to teach English, I know you may have seen this, right? Is that a good idea? Is it a bad idea? The students stay at home in COVID. That didn't work out too well, right? Very difficult. Do we need people to learn? My answer on that, of course, would be yes. But in this environment, you know, we have here in Turkey, for example, the industrial revolutions. You know about the fourth industrial revolution. Well, I'm presenting you today the fifth industrial revolution, which is intelligent machines. Machines that can think, parenthesis. Machines don't think like us. That's basically impossible. But a machine that can use machine learning and deep learning can analyze patterns, trillions of patterns, and change manufacturing, change how we invent, for example, medications. Did you know that many pharma companies are now using artificial intelligence, you know, thinking machines, to come up with new pharma medications? How did we make the vaccine for COVID in 13 months? We used machine intelligence. The next pandemic, we're going to have a vaccine in 13 weeks. And in 10 years, maybe in 13 days. That's what technology does. That's how it changes our society. And here is the tough part. When we talk about digital obesity, which I'll explain in a second, right? the answer is not just a yes or no answer. Right? Take your mobile phone, throw it in the garbage. Is that an answer? Refuse your children to use technology. Is that an answer? Well, the answer is, of course, moderation, right? balance. Because anything that's really good, when you do it too much, it's a problem. You drink coffee, you smoke cigarettes, you may drink alcohol, you eat. Did you know that every year more people are dying from obesity than from hunger? Right? More people are dying from eating too much than eating too little. That's a pretty amazing number. And it's absolutely the same with technology. We cannot say technology is bad because you know, we have problems with Facebook or YouTube or whatever it is. It's how we use it. Remember this from today. Technology is morally neutral until we use it. Okay. The question is not whether we use it or how we use it. The question is what exactly are we going to do with it? I can take a hammer if I am a carpenter, I can build a house. Or I can take the hammer and kill my neighbor. I can take artificial intelligence and build a house, build a uh, virtual house. Right? 
or I can use it as a weapon. So here's the thing that we have to think about when we think about technology. The other thing that really matters here is how much money is being made in technology. Did you know 20 years ago the biggest companies in the world were oil companies, gas companies, and banks? And what is it today? Right, you see all these companies? A little bit hard to see. Facebook, Microsoft, Alphabet, Apple, Baidu, Alibaba, and the story goes on. Lately, the stock market has been down on the tech a little bit, right? Well, we have to remember how much power there is behind this. And for the power of technology has to be balanced with the power of humanity. Right? Otherwise, we get this overweight, which I'll explain in a second what that means. What technology companies want, they want to take human nature, and you heard about the word second nature. It's in my book, also same chapter, right? Second nature means you say, oh, it's second nature. I take out my phone and I check on Google. That's called second nature. You have, to, you have a complaint about Turkish Airlines, you take your mobile and you post on TripAdvisor. Second nature. Right? What technologies companies want is to make that our nature. They may not say that, but this is, of course, the, you know, basically Facebook has gone from second nature to being nature, so to speak. And that's very confusing. Did you know that uh, girls who are on Instagram have the highest suicide rate, power users on Instagram have the highest suicide rate of any group that is on social media? Because they see on Instagram how fabulous all these girls look, but they can't be the same. I mean, to would say rather pathetic, right? But this is a phenomenon that we're seeing around us. So this here is the inevitable future. We're going to work more with technology. Whether you like it or not, your kids will live in a future where technology will be more dominant, more present, cheaper, faster, better, parenthesis. Right? And we have to find a balance. We can't say, let's not do this. Right? It's like you don't stop eating because maybe you get fat when you eat too much is controlling how you eat, right? Controlling how you smoke or drink coffee. You drink 20 coffees a day is not going to go too well, right? but you don't make coffee illegal. So when we're looking in this direction, the next thing will be virtuality. You heard about this, you know, wearing the clunky glasses, trillion dollar business called the metaverse, right? where education is one of those big things. We can put on these glasses and we can live in a world that is simulated, cheap. Marshall McLuhan in the 70s, some of you may remember Marshall McLuhan, the great philosopher and futurist. First we build the tools, then the tools build us. I think it's funny when we talk about the television or the internet, but it's no longer funny when we talk about powerful tools like intelligent machines. So this is a really important thing. How do we keep track of this? Are we going to live in a world that's kind of like hell-ven, I call it, right? Heaven and hell together. Your choice of whether Turkey and your family and your company will live in a good future or bad future is not a choice of saying no to technology. Right? It's a choice of what exactly do you do with it? Right? And what kind of skills do you need with this? So let me introduce you to the five A's 
of technology and exponential change. First is absence, right? You're not really there. Because while you're having dinner, you have your mobile phone and you constantly look at there. You know, there has been a lot of research saying that while you, when you have dinner, just the presence of the mobile phone on the table changes the conversation. The presence, not the use. <laughs> so first thing, take the phone off the table. When you go to a restaurant, put it in the back. Hide it. Right? So you can be present. That's the first point. The second point is alteration, manipulation. Alteration of reality. So when you're on social media, many of you are still on social media, you hear the news, see the news, that is made by an algorithm, so you stay as long as possible. What is the result? Negative news six times as fast as positive news. That's called manipulation. And yes, we have manipulation in all media. Right? But if you're watching Al Jazeera, you know what you're watching, right? And you know why they say what they say. But on social media, it's different. Abuse of data. I mean, the cases of abuse I looked up the other day, there's 3,457 extreme cases of data privacy violation in the last four years. Then we have addiction. Addiction is one of those relative terms. You know? I mean, I'm kind of addicted to having coffee, but I, I can do without it, right? But addiction to technology is the urge that you constantly connect it. It's like, I don't know if you ever tried to go out, meet some people without your mobile phone. How do you feel when you do that? You feel naked, right? Defenseless. You don't have your weapon with you. It's like a, it's like a soldier without a gun. You know, you don't have your mobile phone. And application, this is the worst. Application means you just don't care anymore. <laughs> because you're so busy checking messages, uh, you abdicate the surrounding. And then the next step is this, right? We're going to, this is now the next bona fide big deal. We're going to move into a world where I can see things on my eyeglasses. These very eyeglasses, augmented reality, right? AR, and virtual reality. And in fact, education is one of the top topics of virtual reality. So then I have to ask, you know, looking at the stats like this, these are the statistics showing how many headsets will be sold. Worldwide consumer virtuality market. Look at these numbers. We're talking about trillions of dollars here. We're talking about every technology company in the world wants this to happen. They want us to live there. They want to take education into virtuality. Is that bad? Well, I think it's bad if we can't find our way back to ourselves. And that could very easily be. I mean, the power of virtuality, I don't know if you ever tried it, right? Go to the Microsoft store here in Ankara or the airport in Istanbul. Try the HoloLens. Right? It's very addictive, very powerful. Right? It's like a thousand times the mobile phone. Right? I always say virtuality is kind of everything we ever hoped for, but nothing we really need. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those challenges that we have to look at where it's going and living into that future that is essentially going to be like this. Right? And I kind of fear, I call this here, not the singularity, you may have heard, the sofa-larity, okay? That's when we live in a virtual world, we order everything online, and we don't have to leave the house. 
kind of during COVID, right? Is that a good future? I doubt it. Because what would happen if we were this? I mean, people live like this already. So let me explain what digital obesity is before we go much further with this. So the key point here really is this, you know, we're living in a world already that has plenty of these mechanisms. I call them magic, manic, and toxic. It's a natural progress. Right? So you first you say, well, that's really magic, right? Magic computer, magic phone, magic iPad, magic VR, magic car, electric car, magic electric helicopter, whatever magic, right? But then you do it a lot, it becomes manic, you get obsessed. Constantly looking at news, right? And finally, this is the final stage where it gets to be toxic. Right? So we have this, pl this place where this, many of us may know these kids, right? Constantly checking, doing something. And of course, multitasking, right? Doing the homework, listening to music, making a phone call, and chatting online at the same time. And toxic is this. We're like dropping into this rabbit hole. So I wouldn't say 100% of that is necessarily a bad thing, but when it becomes extreme, it can be a very bad thing as we're moving into that future where basically too much of a good thing can be a very bad thing. And that's so true for technology. Good things are good things. You know, technology is primarily good for many, many reasons, including increase of GDP and new work and new jobs and working online. But too much technology can destroy the whole thing. Facebook makes the greatest example. We started using Facebook to connect with each other and to exchange news, right? And over time, Facebook went public. Now Facebook makes a $160 million profit every single day. And how do they do that? They share information from us with others and put advertising on top. So Facebook has gone from being kind of a good thing to have to being toxic. It's poison. I left Facebook five years ago as a user. My traffic went down 70% on my website. I was punished. I stopped speaking for Facebook because I find it unethical. So it's kind of interesting to see that, you know, these things aren't against the law, not yet. Right? They're just against humanity. And we have to keep an eye on this right? because basically what we're seeing here in this future uh, is this effect like this, right? Technology is a present, but too much of it is a bomb. It corrodes things. So what's the answer, right? Not use it? That's not a good answer. I mean, no matter where you are, on the top of the mountain in Switzerland or somewhere in New Zealand on an island, technology is there. And what is the answer to this problem? What is the answer to this problem that we have more relationships with our screens than we have with people. It's funny, you know, especially older people, I observe when I go on vacation somewhere, like for example, I went to Tenerife in Canary Islands the other day, um, and we're sitting around, and there's a bunch of people my age, you know, between 50 and 70 kind of range, right? And every single one of those people were working on their mobile phones, not talking, with a beautiful view, and. Right? And these were old people, right? They weren't kids. Right? 
And many people think like technology is like a happiness kit. Yeah. But we all know what happiness is, right? You will not find happiness on a screen or in the cloud or with an app. What you find there is called hedonism. Right? Hedonism isn't a bad thing. When you call somebody for free on WhatsApp, that's nice, right? It makes you happy. That's good. If you, want, if you listen to music on Spotify, 62 million songs, that's good. But happiness is something else. Happiness cannot be generated or downloaded. Right? It's complex. So real happiness is called eudaimonia in Greek. Right? That's where we feel good about ourselves. That's a whole different story than what we have on the mobile phone. Because one thing is for sure, machines don't do relationships. Right? What is the most important thing for humans? Not data, not mobile phones. Right? Relationships, experiences, engagement. And that, that is what's most important for learning. This is why we learn in person. Because we have engagement, we have relationships with others. And then we have this, you know, where uh, technology is protecting, parenthesis, us from hearing anything that's different than our opinion. And we have the other effect where artificial intelligence is telling us what to do. I don't know, do you know the story of the Swiss uh, couple that went to Rio de Janeiro and they were traveling from the airport to some resort outside of Rio and the Google Maps app said you have to go this way. They were using Google Maps, right? Turns out this way was the shortest, of course, right? But it was going straight through the favela, you know, the slums of Rio de Janeiro. In the evening, right? they were almost killed because they used Google Maps and didn't question it, right? Because the app tells you to do something. The app tells you this is the best choice. But of course, you know what happened in, uh, in the elections, you know, uh, years ago, before the Brexit, you had, a, you had a social media app that was telling people that Turkey was joining the European Union and everybody would come to England, right? This is what the app came up with, you know, fear-mongering. Right? So this kind of idea is difficult for us to figure out what to do. Abdication, right? I mean, do we really need an app to tell us who we like? And soon we have online therapists that would tell us what's wrong with us. That already exists, right? I don't want to tell you where. But this is all the result of exponential change. That's something we have to understand, especially important for Turkey. What we have here is this curve that everybody knows. Right? This is Moore's law, Metcalfe's law, Wright's law, the potential exponential change of technology. Right? Transistors double in power every 18 months. Right? So what's, what's happening now for a long time, we didn't see very much because they were doubling very little. And now it's exploding, right? Now here, 30 linear steps, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, will take me from here to the door. But 30 exponential steps take me 26 times around the world. Right? So now we're living in a world where basically we're here, right? We're at four. What's the next step after four is not five in technology, it's eight. Right? Eight, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256. That's roughly eight years. 
Your kids are going to live in a world that's roughly 80 times as fast and as different as today, exponentially speaking. 20 years, 1 billion times as different. How is Turkey going to make their way into the future like this? And do we just do everything that we can? Or do we protect things? Do we have to protect things? For example, in climate change, you can see now, uh, this graph shows you, we have already pretty much every possible technology that we need to deal with climate change. And this is the biggest business ever in the history of the last 100 years. Uh, basically switching to renewable energy, also a big topic for Turkey. But here we have all these things happening in the next 10 years. The World Economic Forum says there's 100 million new jobs are coming in climate change and green energy. Only 1.2 million people work on gas and oil. And we need technology for this, right? This is what technology makes possible. And then you have basically the fact I was telling you earlier, science fiction is becoming science fact. Don't think for a minute that today we're sitting here and looking at this and next year is going to be a little bit faster. Next year is twice and the year afterward is twice again. This is what's, for example, what's happening with the car industry. I know Turkey is big in the car industry. You know, what is the future of the car? Not to have a car. Right? And why is that? Because kids don't get driving licenses anymore. They use all kinds of other means of transportation. Like for my two kids, only one has a driver's license. And now the car companies want to sell mobility. Just like Spotify does not sell music. It's 10 euros for 62 million songs, all of them. What does Spotify sell? Comfort, ease of use, peace of mind. So this is where we're going in this future, really quite simple. You can see science fact, this is 3D printing from Turkish television actually. In Germany, houses are being printed now. This is standard procedure in China. The ugly houses, okay, ugly houses. In this video, you will learn how to react in the case of an unhappy customer in one of our stores. O atendimento ao cliente é fundamental e é necessário aprender a lidar com clientes irritados e descontentes. Podem não ter recebido o nível de serviço que esperavam. It's generated by an AI called Synthia. It changes the face too. So people in the back do my translation, are they going to be out of work? Or is it just a demo? Right? Or how long will it take? Smart technology, again, very big deal here. Digital enterprise, digital twins, where you can see the factory in cyberspace from your office, called the digital twin. Right? I mean, this is happening all around us. Of course, automation. Very big topic for education. We can safely say that anything that can be, will be automated. I used to say anything that can go digital, will go digital. So, I mean, this is the future where we're seeing things like this, right? The automated helicopter in South Korea. I would not advise that you try this, but self-flying helicopter, like, a, like an air taxi. So, I mean, that future is quite clear. Right? This is what's happening all around us. Automation. Right? 
And what do we do about this? Will all the jobs be automated away? It's interesting to see, for example, with a car, that we don't really have self-driving cars like people can drive cars. We have cars that can do a little bit of it. And I don't see any self-driving cars in Istanbul or Ankara. I see them in Las Vegas, right, or Palo Alto. Imagine a self-driving car in Rome, right? Would live for about two seconds. So, I mean, what, what's happening here is that really great quote, uh, Christine Lagarde from the IMF, automation is good for growth, money, and bad for equality. So, as we're looking at the future of education, we have to find out how we deal with this. What do we do with people that are being automated? For example, the checkout in the supermarket. We have to find a way to get them to do something else or just pay for them to go on some other way. It's going to create a huge amount of discussion and, again, the balance conversation. Bill Gates has suggested an automation tax. I think it's a good idea. Everybody hates taxes. Clear, right? But if we automate the telecom system, right? If Turkcell would say, today, we have an AI that can monitor the network and replace 5,000 engineers, which they will eventually say. Should Turkcell pay a tax? to fire all those people and then create new jobs? Or, or what do we do there? <laughs> so these are becoming major issues that we see around the world. And so the bottom line on all that stuff is that digital transformation isn't just technology, it's societal transformation and it's human transformation. We have to remember that this is not just better tech, it's changing everything. And education has to be rebooted. Right? Because if we do what we've been doing for a long time, you know, I went to university in Bonn in Germany, I studied philosophy, and then I went to be a musician in the US, I literally, like many of you, downloaded information for later. I learned Latin, Greek, Hebrew, right? study of, of comparative religions, and when I was a musician, I studied every possible scale and combination of chords and every possible variation. Did that help me? I would say it probably didn't hurt, but today, why would you download information today? Information is everywhere. Information can be gotten by machines. I went to IBM Watson the other day, three years ago, in New York, and I said, you know, IBM Watson is the biggest artificial intelligence from IBM. And I sat down and I asked IBM, what is the future of Switzerland? And the machine gave me a speech exactly like I'm giving to you now, in a nice female voice for 10 minutes. I couldn't have told that it was a machine. Except for, of course, it was devoid of emotions or any kind of vision or, you know, like a refrigerator manual. <laughs> you know, kind of a little bit like this. But here's the challenge for us, you know, technology is a super promise, but it has no ethics, right? It has no values. Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, once said, technology can do great things, but it does not want to do great things. It doesn't want anything. So if we want people to be happy and have a good future, we have to do that with technology. We have to make new rules, new social contracts, new education systems. You cannot and you will not beat a computer in terms of smartness and logic. Today, maybe. Right? 10 years, no way. A computer can remember all of Wikipedia reading it in one minute. 
Okay? Would I be happy to remember all of Wikipedia? But then if you have a computer, read all of the works of philosophy in the world, in all languages, and then you ask a philosophical question. Is the computer a philosopher? Well, the answer is obvious. It has read everything, but understanding, right? No. That's the difference between humans and machines. So I'll talk about why technology has this danger for us, and then I'll talk about some possible solutions. So what we're seeing here is this great reduction, right? Imagine if I was here only as a hologram. Oh, actually, that's pretty good, a hologram. Let's say I was only generated as a widget, like on your mobile phone. And then you would look at me like I'm this kind of you know, data-driven person. What you see from me, from me on LinkedIn or Twitter or any of those things is only very part of me. Right? When we meet in person later, it takes you 0.3 seconds to find a connection or not. This is what humans do, right? 0.3 seconds to understand the other person. This doesn't happen in, in digital spaces. Right? They are performances. And as I was saying earlier, really this is what drives humans. Right? Engagement, experiences, relationships, consciousness. Now there's a big topic. Right? That's how we learn. Right? My son, who was a great fan of India for a long time, my older son, he watched hundreds of hours of India videos on YouTube. One day, he, he found a way to go. So he goes to India, he sends me a message from the night market in Mumbai, and he says, what I've learned here in 14 seconds or 40 seconds on the night market in Mumbai is worth a lot more than hundreds of hours on YouTube. Was it bad to spend the time on YouTube? Probably not. It's just different. When we talk about really powerful education, it's going to always be about this. That's why the future of education is hybrid. It's physical, digital, remote, virtual, in-person, depending on who you are, what topics you study. There's been a lot of interesting studies because this is how we are. Every psychologist would tell you, read Daniel Kahneman, right? We don't think with the head. We think with the body, right? I mean, it's all connected. And our physical experience is everything, is our touch, our feel, our sensation, right? The best possible camera in the world captures 3% of the human sense of the eye. 3%. I mean, the way I see you now, for a camera to understand, that would be currently impossible. So it's important that we keep this, right? That we say, okay, yes, we can scan the human body. Right? But do we really understand everything that's not a scan? That's a really important topic for our future. So when we go here, this is minority report, right? This is not the future of education. We're not going to be smarter or download information or stick it in our head with a stick. People are working on that too, like a brain-computer interface called the neural lace. And guess who is inventing the neural lace? Our good friend Elon Musk. First, he's going to demolish Twitter, and then he's going to invent this. Right? So you can connect with your brain to the internet, and you can download information or upload your brain to the internet. 
This is the worst thing that's happened in education pretty much around the globe. We keep doing this. What we need to do is we need to figure out how can our kids improvise, make up things, be creative, collaborate, learn how to learn. As Alvin Toffler, a famous futurist, once said, the future is about unlearning and relearning. Hard to understand for us because we learned this way, right? I grew up in a system like this. It wasn't really possible then, but today it is, right? This is called machine thinking. We're not machines. I don't know if you feel like it, but we're not machines. We're not just data. Yuval Harari says that right, humans are basically, you know, organisms are algorithms. Right? Everything you do can be explained by science. Very interesting topic. I think what we need here is a protection mechanism. It says, yeah, we can use this, but there's also some appreciation that humans aren't exponential. You know, what makes you human is inefficiency, right? is emotions, is changing your mind, is understanding things that were unsaid. It's all of those things together. And now we're going here. You may have not tried this, but you should give it a try when you can. It will enlighten you as to the scary and potential future. The Oculus Rift device is 300 euros or so. And this is made out to be the next classroom. And augmented reality, we see on the other side, same idea but without the helmet, right? Just seeing information. So I can look at you and I can see all of your LinkedIn profiles on my glasses. Very useful. Or I can see your latest tweet, even more useful, parenthesis. But when you do this as a human, something like this, something simple like this, a million things happen. A million things that technology will never understand because it knows what water is, it knows what hands are, but it doesn't understand how it all comes together. For example, in virtuality, there's been great research from this article saying basically the sensory input that we get in, from, as a human create a unified experience. That's how we live. And the lived sensory experience is called sensory fusion. This is why education is so important, because we do it with all senses. And online can be just a part of this very well. And so uh, Mark Zuckerberg and other companies talk a lot about the metaverse. You may have heard the word, there's a lot of hype about the metaverse, to live in virtuality. Right? So here's our friend Mark, virtually. Hello, Mark. And here is what he says. Right? I mean, reading this will make you doubt his state of mind, right? It's about a time when immersive digital worlds become the primary way we live our lives. Do you want that for your life? Do you want that for your life of the kids? For the virtual space to be our primary way that we live? Here's what I say, right? Technology is cool, but it's about enjoying our actual lives and using technology to the fullest extent to make that happen. It's not to replace our lives because they're bad, you know, to go somewhere else in virtuality. So let's talk briefly about what's happening with artificial intelligence. This is the most simple definition of AI, right? Computer systems that can do things that usually were done by humans. That's Wikipedia. That is a 30-year-old definition. That's kind of boring, doesn't really work anymore, so let's use this one. The CEO of DeepMind, 
the Google company, says, artificial intelligence are computer systems that can turn information and data into knowledge. Now, this should scare you, right? Information and data into knowledge? Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what your job is, is knowledge? If a computer has knowledge, what do we do? And is it true that computers can have knowledge? Like, again, you know, if we meet later, you have knowledge of me after 0.3 seconds that is basically crossing all the points of data that have nothing to do with it. Right? You know if I'm a threat or interesting or potential partner or whatever, you know, if I hadn't been on the stage, right? then we would know. Right? This is the kind of knowledge that humans have. So very important that we understand where this is. This is Boston Dynamics dancing robot. It's an 800 kilo robot. 800 kilos. This kind of robot trying anything like this would have destroyed the entire hall 10 years ago. Impossible. But what is the robot doing? Does it actually feel the music? No, oh, it's programmed to understand and to perform the moves. Right? It has no consciousness of what the music is. But it does a very good job. So here's one of our futures, you know, we're going to see a lot of machines that can sort of simulate things and do things like in the medical arena. You see here right now, software developers, accountants, bookkeepers, lawyers, because of artificial intelligence, the output of knowledge will increase by 140%, 4.5x for paralegals and office support. In other words, you can use software to become four and a half times as fast. Is that good or bad? I think it's primarily good. But obviously, we have to learn how that hangs all together. Here we have an app called GPT-3. This is a learning app. It's called Learn From Anyone. And here you can learn, for example, from Elon Musk by typing in Elon Musk and ask a question like, teach me about rockets. And the system will go online and find an answer from Elon. Okay? So you can get a written answer. It's different every time. Right? It's kind of like a teacher in an app. So there's already many things, I'll skip this one because I want to get to the other points quickly, but basically that brings us to the future of work. And most importantly here is this. I hear this everywhere I go. People saying technology will make us useless. I don't know if you feel that way, but a lot of people are saying, you know, if technology can drive a car, if it can fly an airplane, if it can do, you know, teaching, if it can do language translation, I'm useless. Well, it turns out that's not quite true, right? Because technology can automate only pieces of what we do. Like translation is a good case. Technology can translate when I'm in the taxi, I can use the app to speak to the driver, one sentence at a time. But for an app to translate what I'm doing now, very difficult to translate United Nations conversations, very difficult. So parts of it will be automated. As you can see in this chart here, Amazon is the king of automation. Amazon has built more and more robots, but Amazon has also hired more and more, whoop, more and more, the red line here, more and the blue line, more and more employees. How do you explain that? Amazon automates everything, but they hire all these people. Are they bad jobs? Maybe they're bad jobs. It could also be true, right? So automation creates jobs. It takes jobs. The biggest problem that you're going to have in Turkey, and I think generally in large countries, 
is that the jobs that are commodity jobs, easy jobs, they will be taken by technology. That's mining, uh, doing simple things, doing non-disclosure agreements, you know, very simple cookie-cutter stuff. Commodity work, some people call it donkey work. Okay? I do donkey work. You know, I have to calculate my account, but now I have technology that does this. And here's the thing that we have to be familiar with. Every routine that is only routine will be done by machines. Next 10 years. This is why we don't have to compete with machines to try to learn routines. Why would we do that? Whatever you do, don't let your kids or your students learn routines. Then you end up here in the extinct job category. But of course, the interesting part is that this is actually only happening in a very partial way. The biggest way to explain this really is the end of routine is not the end of work. It's just the end of some task. Because this is what we do, right? We do human things. I call these the andro rhythms, the human rhythms. Uh, there's algorithms and then there's andro rhythms, right? human things. And this is what we have to get better at. Will you compete with a computer to learn programming? You know, a simple programmer can and will be and is being replaced by a computer. GPT-3 does exactly this. You can speak to GPT-3, the OpenAI app, and you can say, I want to program an app that does the following, and it will make the app. Probably a bad one for now. So the end of routine is not the end of work. It just means that we're moving up the scale, which I'll show in a second. The other thing in roughly 20 years, the end of work as we know it, is not the end of human society. You know, we don't have to live in a work society. I mean, right now, most men my age, they work until they die, right? I mean, 12 hours a day is no exception for many of us, right? We live in a work culture. Could it be in 20 years that we have enough machine intelligence so we don't live in a work culture anymore. We work three or four hours a day, we get the same money. Right? Maybe we get a basic income. That's roughly 20 years away. So going back to this exponential curve, I used to be in the music business and this is what the new jobs are in the music business. Playlist scientists, meme makers, digital amplifiers, you know, nobody works in a record store anymore. I mean, today, if you buy a CD or a DVD and you give it to your kids for Christmas, they call a therapist. Right? There's something wrong with you. Right? So now here, here's a bunch of new jobs, a list of new jobs. A risk manager, a chief ethicist, a data objectivity supervisor, nature deficit therapist, job training and inventor, a youth motivator. In other words, our kids will create their own work. And we have to get them ready for this. There's a long list of things that are happening. And part of that is that we're going to be partly doing this traditional way of doing things, and partly we'll do this. It's not an either or. I mean, the, the COVID crisis has shown us that we can easily go back and forth, right? that we can collaborate there. So the future of work is hybrid. Dell Computers had a report on this two years ago. 70% of all new jobs in 2030 don't even exist today. We're going to make our own work. We're going to have to improvise. 
I mean, the future of work is definitely going to be so overwhelming that we, it's hard to imagine. I mean, today, if you're on social media, social media didn't really exist 10, 12 years ago. 21 million jobs today. And a lot of Turkish people will work virtually for companies worldwide, as they already are, right? But in a much larger way on what's called the gig economy. So let me speak about the future of education, okay? We're living in this world, for some reason it's a little bit blurred. We are surrounded by technology, everywhere. Big data, cloud computing, the internet of things, everywhere. And that is probably not going to change. We can reject some of it, we can make different rules, but really in the end, what we need to do in education, we have to rehumanize. Rehumanize because the only thing that keeps us apart from machines is that we're not machines. So why would we study to be machines? You know, I teach MBA classes in Brazil, and I'm astounded as a curriculum basically teaches people to just learn the past and repeat it. That's called a death wish. You work like a robot, a robot will take your job. You learn like a robot, you'll never have a job. That's our reality. And why would we want to be robots, right? Let's do the things that humans are best at. Imagination, intuition. Einstein said, imagination is more important than knowledge. And this was Einstein, of course. He did have a bit of knowledge, you know. Um, so I vote for having knowledge and imagination. But we've got to bring, in, bring the imagination back, right? This is the pyramid of work. You should print this out and put it on your desk. The pyramid of work means that on the lower part of this, data information, intellectual knowledge, machines are learning that. We may not like this, but machines are very good with data and information. They're also very good with intellectual logic. What if this, then that, right? But above that, that's the human line, right? Deeper knowledge, quiet knowledge understanding. I'll tell you the difference between understanding and, and knowledge. Right? When your kids come home from school and your son is 13 years old and he's sitting there at the dinner table and he's smiling like, like a maniac, and he looks very strange, he's not saying anything. Right? He can tell you all his, his day, like his grades and his bus ride, that's called information. Right? But the understanding is you understand when you see him that he's fallen in love the first time of his life. You just know. That's called understanding. Impossible for machines. This is our job of the future. Understanding, wisdom, purpose. And that's what we have to teach in school. We have to get away from this idea of saying that data and intellectual knowledge will keep us safe. It will not. We're going to get beaten in roughly 10 years. It's good to have that. I mean, I strive to have more knowledge, but I'm not going to be smarter than a computer in terms of logic. I'm going to find different ways, right? And so this is about personality, about character, about mindset. I call this the future mindset. And I wish that every student in Turkey, whether it's high school or university, has a future mindset, understands what's coming. The future mindset means that we can sort of be here today but have one leg in the future. This is what Americans are so good at, right? You say what you want about Americans, right? 
but they have an imagination. I mean, basically, every American wants to reinvent the world, right? This is just a national sport. I lived there 17 years. The future is important. And this is what we have to learn about where it's going. And also it means this, right? The balance of the EQ, the emotional quotient, being human, and the IQ. Did you know that research says that women have a much higher EQ than men? This may be the answer why many countries that were run by women in the COVID crisis performed better. Jacinda Ardern, the, the Minister of New Zealand, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, great example for this. Right? We all need a little bit more of this and have to study it and try to find more of it. So I made a film about this called The Good Future. Okay, you can watch it at thegoodfuturefilm.com and how the future can be good. Uh, I think there's a, a version available with, like, with uh, Turkish subtitles. And it comes down to this, right? We love STEM education especially here and especially in Germany and also in Switzerland where I live. There's nothing wrong with that except for that in a few years it's no longer a guarantee for work. Because a lot of science, technology, engineering and math is learned by machines on some level at least. India graduates one million engineers per year. And they have an average job of $300 per month building bridges or... Right? You don't think there will be a machine that builds bridges? I mean, there's a machine that makes houses, right? There's a machine that flies the helicopter. So on top of STEM, we need HECI. Humanity, ethics, creativity, imagination. Every scientist has to understand issues outside of science. Right? The ideal combination would be art and science, as Steve Jobs has said, rest in peace, so many times. The future is a combination of those two things. And I think if we're looking at the path of uh, how education has shaped up, education has by and large in most countries not responded to the change of paradigm. The only real big change I see in Finland, for example, where we're pursuing exactly this. So this is an important topic, I think, as far as the future is concerned. The other one is that we're moving into a future where it's perpetual VUCA, right? You know, VUCA means volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. And this isn't going to get any better. Stop asking for the world to calm down. It's not. The next 10 years will bring more change than the previous 100 years, and we're going to see the world explode with VUCA. What we need to do is to flip the VUCA. And this is what you have to teach our students. Right? Velocity, unorthodoxy, co-creation, and a good old American word, awesomeness, to be an amazing human. You know, the future of our work is to be human. That's our future job. And that's what we have to learn in education as well. Great quote here from C.K. Prahalad, an Indian philosopher who says, Imagine the future may be more important than analyzing the past. Companies today are no longer resource-bound, they're imagination-bound. And I would say countries are the same way. Countries are no longer just bound by resources and necessarily by science, but by imagination. That's what China does too, right? Have you, have you noticed? <laughs> 
I mean, China's inventing stuff all the time. They lead in solar energy, they lead in AI, they lead in pharmaceuticals, they lead in all that stuff. You know, they have been having a hard time with the COVID crisis. But imagination bound, right? That's where the future is going. So some final thoughts and then I'll leave you to it. First, let's not believe that the future is as bad as it sometimes looks. This future. Let's think about what it means when we think about the future because there's a great saying by Buckminster Fuller, as you see the future, so you act, and as you act, so you become. You see the future as lacking opportunities, being a nightmare for humans, climate change unsolved, people not collaborating, dictators all over the world causing wars and war. Yes, that is maybe a good snapshot sometimes, right? But you have to believe that the future can be different. Because if you believe negative things about the future, that's the future that we create. That's also so important for education. Going back to what I said in the beginning, let's have our students invent the future. Because there's every possible possibility for us is available. We have all the tools. What we need is a telos, you know, the, the will, the purpose, the sense. And as we go into this future of looking at things, here's a couple practical things, okay? Don't pour out the baby with the bathwater. Just because we're talking about digital obesity doesn't mean that your kids can't have an iPad. Okay? What's very bad about the iPad is when you have a four-year-old child that's on a six-hour plane ride watching five hours of stuff on the iPad, and then when you get to the beach, you see the same kid with the iPad on the beach, right? That, that's the bad part of the iPad, right? So this is about moderation, right? So also we have to say a clear and loud no when technology crosses the border. If I'm going to work for a company, you think I would sit down in their office and have an artificial intelligence scan my face so they can see if I'm lying or, or telling the truth or not? That's just fundamentally bad. We say no to that. Like I said no to Facebook. I said no to many other things. I don't post private things on social networks. And for our kids, we have to expend the human time spent. Decrease the screen time. I think that's so important. It's not that the screen is bad. It's just that the screen isn't everything. And the bad thing about the screen is that it creates a fake reality. Right? And a feeling of happiness that lasts only as long as the battery. Offline is the new luxury. Offline, I mean, it's funny, you know, 10 years ago we were sitting here and saying, oh, I wish we could have internet in Anatolia or, you know, wherever you were, because it wasn't working. And here we are today saying, oh my God, the internet isn't working, I'm free. I have one client that's a Swiss hotel, right, where you check in and you pay extra because the internet and the phone isn't working. Okay? They block it. You pay extra for that. So catch some offline luxury whenever you can. Right? Here's a practical tip. At home, we try to do one media-free day per week. Media-free means no television, no internet, no phone. Can't do a whole day, do a half day. Right? But try to escape a little bit. Right? And there's also this thing called the nature deficit disorder. Right? Like we spend so much time in a digital medium, we don't get enough nature. You know, nature is the ultimate solution to this feeling of being disconnected.
So that's really important that we go out to nature more, we enjoy nature. Pursue reasonable regulatory issues. I mean, we're going to see, and we have seen the European Commission is making one rule after the other, right? The Digital Services Act. We need that. Technology is so powerful, and we're just individuals, right? We need to be protected by the state for the worst offenders here. That's why I support the European Commission in moving forward into a future where we are protected, but not overprotected. This is a very important part. And finally, bring back the humanities at school. Arts, ethics, language, music, sports. Because that's what makes us complete. That's what makes us not a machine. If you're going to be a machine in the future, you have no chance in the job market unless you're a super brilliant machine, like one out of a million. Great quote here um, that I like to use a lot from Buckminster Fuller, right? I would say we're we're moving towards a future where education is going to be number one among the world's greatest industries. Because education will be lifelong, Education will be constantly coming up with new certificates, new vocations, new degrees, all kinds of new things. Education will be partly virtual, so everybody can do it. Many people are saying the next Google will be in education. I think it's an important thing to remember. We're going to need a lot more education than Pink Floyd has ever thought of back then. Going back to what I said here, magic, manic, toxic. It's okay to love magic. I love magic. I love Disneyland and love Netflix and whatever, right? And a little bit of manic, okay, you know, happens. But this we don't want. We need to be protected from toxic use of technology. Data tracking, surveillance of technology, bad use of technology. That's what makes us human that we have this, right? So here's the bottom line. The more we connect with technology, the more we must protect what makes us human. Sounds like mission impossible, right? But this is where we have to solve solutions, okay? Going back to what I said in the beginning, the world isn't black or white, and it will not help us if we make black or white answers. The world is complex, that's not gonna change. We need to figure out how we can be proactive and also have precaution, both. In education, that means you keep what is working I mean, science, technology, engineering, that's working, right? But will it work in 10 years? Don't we have to add, as a precaution, some other ways of bringing up our qualification? Imagination, creativity, design, moving outside of the old paradigms of engineering. You know, when you're looking at engineering societies, it's very interesting they're all struggling with the same uh, uh, question. How do we go from the engineering thinking to the creative thinking? Not that engineering isn't creative, it is, right? But how do we do that? Because the future is clearly going in this direction. So a quote from my book, that's how I close my book, which by the way is available in Turkish. Embrace technology, but don't become it. This is a very important rule, I think, for us as people and us in education. Another great quote from, a, a, uh, of course, I've mentioned him before, from Einstein, right? The human spirit must prevail over technology. That was 1941. No matter what technology is, we should not allow us uh, it to dehumanize us. 
and to make us go away because we're not efficient. This is so important when we think about education and which way we're going. So, education for the future. Let me see, I wrote it down. I'm going to give it to you right now. 18, oh, no, wait, that's right. 18 Galeci. Education for the future. What is it? Okay. It's those four things perceiving, understanding, imagining, and acting. Let's think this over when we think about our curriculum. Is it going to get people to imagine? If we skip to this point right away, right, act and create, what happens is we act and create the wrong things because right? we haven't imagined them. So important that we think about this in a holistic way. So I want to thank you very much. I know it was a long talk with lots of information. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is Gerd Leonhard, Futurist. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out my videos at gertube.com on YouTube.